Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. If you tuned into Jeopardy! on May 16th, you may remember watching host Mayim Bialik present a clue to the contestants which stumped them all. Card game in which you try to build the perfect hot dog is called Turn for This. It's kind of cute. Turn for the worst. Now, as you heard, none of the contestants were able to get any points from that clue. But the moment was actually a turn for the best for St. Louis game company Wham Wham Games, whose hot dog building rummy style card game, Turn for the Worst, was released just last year. And that's because the Jeopardy boost is very real. Being on the classic TV quiz show sent sales through the roof. Here now to talk about that moment in the trivia show spotlight and how a stack of cards can lead to a winning wiener, we welcome the chief game developer of Wham Wham Games, Phil Wamser. Phil, it's great to have you here. Hi, it's nice to be here. Now, Phil, turn for the worst, spelled W-U-R-S-T, is some good wordplay. <laughs> now, before we get to Jeopardy!, Tell us how you got to the card game itself. Where did the idea and its name come from? Uh, well, the uh, the name was actually uh, came from a joke, I guess, kind of. Uh, a friend of mine sent a text message and made that typo, worst instead of worse, and I wanted to make fun of her for it. And I had been making games for the last year and a half at that point in time and uh, discussing on a long car ride with my wife how the best we could make her mistake into a game brought about this initial gameplay, which took a lot of tweaking from there. And Mm -hmm. I ran it to my brother and he took it to a local artist friend of ours. And it went from being something funny that we could put in front of our friends to something that people really liked and really wanted to play. And so we decided to pursue it as a a fully published game. So as far as the game itself and how you play it, is there a best hot dog as well as worst (laughs) one? Uh, Not so much. it's a it's a pretty balanced game. There are definitely recipes that are worth more points, but they're harder to get to. And so it all depends on how you want to play. As with most rummy games, you have to balance that idea of do I go after more points or do I end the game quickly so no one else can get points. Okay. As well. And can you break down what is a rummy style game? So in general, a rummy style game is any game where you are drawing cards and discarding cards in an attempt to make a set collection to put together certain groups of cards. Mm -hmm. So in a classic game of rummy, that would be four, five, six of spades or three twos, however you would want to do it. Uh, In our game, you're finishing hot dog recipes as you do that. And is this the sort of game that you played growing up? Is that part of what inspired it? Uh, In part, yeah. We definitely played a lot of rummy with our mom and our grandma. And so that gave us this basis of where to start for this game, for sure. And it was always a a desire of ours and inspiration once we started making games to make some games that could bring in people who are used to older style games, more classic card games, Uh, into the more modern gaming world. Okay. Now, your Jeopardy moment in May did some things. A local store that carried Turner for the Worst sold out of it, and Wham Wham got some coverage in the Riverfront Times. How was it, though, that you found out that the game had become a Jeopardy clue in the first place? Uh, So 
the day that it had happened, my brother and I, we were getting ready for our next game to launch on Kickstarter. And so I didn't answer the phone when he tried calling me twice back to back. I was kind of sick of him. <laughs> uh, but he, he finally sent me a text message saying that we were on Jeopardy and our uncles who own a bar in South City, they have a Jeopardy watch party every day at their bar. Oh. And so they saw it, called him. My brother records it every day. We're a big Jeopardy family. Okay. Uh, and so he recorded it, ran in, found it, sent me the clip and at first, I didn't believe it. I thought it was like a, a deep fake, an AI, something. <laughs> okay. I thought he had made up something fake, and we were able to dive into it and saw that that was going on. And, yeah. And then it was just a crazy night from there on. And do you have any idea how Jeopardy found out about the game or who might have tipped them off? Uh, not at all. In fact, uh, we've reached out on multiple social media platforms, sent them emails, haven't heard back from them. So if someone from Jeopardy is uh, listening, please uh, send me an email. Okay. <laughs> uh, we'd really like to know what was going on. Uh, my guess is, you know, they're just constantly looking for more and more clues and they needed something to fill out a category of for turns. Yeah. And so in terms of the boost in sales, mm -hmm. tell me what difference it made to be on the show. Uh, it was huge in reaching an audience outside of St. Louis. Uh, you, you made the comment no one knew the answer on Jeopardy. That's because up until that point, we'd only sold about 300 copies and most of them here in St. Louis. Uh, after that had happened, uh, we sold out on Amazon within the week and had to rush them more uh, copies there. As you said, the, one of the local game stores sold out. They've restocked and sold out again since then. So oh, we're on wow. our third restock with them okay. as well. So it, it switched it from being pretty stagnant outside of game conventions to a pretty steady flow, which has mm -hmm. been really nice for our small company. Yeah. Now, even for folks who don't follow the show, Jeopardy is very well known as a classic program. And a pop culture phenomenon, and I think you were saying that your your uncle has a bar and that there are regular mm -hmm. sort of showings of the show. I mean, what did it feel like to have one of your creations featured on that program, especially because it has such a presence in the world of games? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was pretty unbelievable. I'm still riding that high and looking at the video clip every once in a while because it, it's a big cultural thing, but it's a huge family thing for us, yeah. too. Like we used to, you know, sit at I have memories of sitting at the foot of my parents' bed at 4 p.m. on a Thursday watching Jeopardy as a whole family. Mm. And, uh, so it was just cool to see that. And to have our tiny little game company featured on what is arguably one of the biggest games in the world was just wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, Wham Wham Games... Uh, is a company that has not been around for too, too long. You and your brother, Jake, mm -hmm. founded the company last year. Was game making something you ever thought about doing professionally before that point? Absolutely not. Uh, the closest I had ever come to thinking about doing it professionally was in, in college. I charged some people to teach them how to play Dungeons & Dragons. Okay. Outside of that, I had never <laughs> considered it. Uh, until 2019, we went to a game convention, mm -hmm. uh, and we had a blast at it. Uh, one of the things that I had never thought about before that week was people have to make these games. Like to me, Hasbro and Mattel were always just some far off entity and that's where games came from. Uh, but we play tested some people's games at that convention and thought we could do this. Yeah. And that kind of kicked us off into the world of game design. And since then we've published one, we're kickstarting another right now. And we've got four more that are just waiting on artwork ready to go. Wow. I mean, so the... The convention that you're talking about, mm -hmm. it happened in 2019, and the pandemic, it changed so much for so many people, including decisions about how they wanted to spend time both at work and at leisure. Is there some role that you think timing played in you and your brother's decision 
to go to that convention and then to create Wham Wham games together? Uh, I think there's definitely timing. You know, we we decided to go to the convention. Our birthdays are only three days apart, three days and eight years, because that's how math works, but uh, <laughs> three days apart. And so we used to do something together every year for our birthday, something big. And we hadn't done it in a few years. And so we decided to go to this game convention, because that's kind of what revamped our relationship after I got home from college was gaming. Oh, okay. Um, and we loved it. And then I definitely think being stuck at home six months later is what really forced me to really buckle down and write the rule set to our first game, Mm -hmm. um, which has not yet been published, but it's kind of our labor of love for the last four years. Um, And I think if we hadn't been stuck at home, we're both uh, very flighty people sometimes. I think we would have fizzled out and been like, oh, well, that was a fun idea and never taken anything with it. Um, The idea to then take it from game design to a business was watching the industry skyrocket during 2020, uh, especially smaller games that people could play with kids or just with the one other person in Mm -hmm. their bubble at the time. Yeah. I'm talking with Phil Wamser, founder and chief game developer of Wham Wham Games and its recent unexpected boost as a clue on Jeopardy. Now, in terms of time, this is an exciting time for you and Wham Wham Games. Just a couple days after the Jeopardy bump, you were mm-hmm. talking about this earlier, you released a Kickstarter for a new game called Shiner. Not a game related to hot dogs or to black eyes. No. <laughs> what does this game add to Wham Wham's catalog? Uh, so Shiner is a micro game. Uh, It's meant to be played in five minutes. It's very quick. It's an 18-card game, which the premise of 18-card games is exactly that. You have 18 cards to get as much gameplay as possible. Uh, And at the time, uh, so about a year ago, I had never heard of an 18-card game. And it started as just a thought exercise. Like, this could be fun. Could we pull this off? And it went from being exactly that, just some thoughts, to something that people really, really enjoyed playing. We had a, a local game convention here in February called Proto Spiel, where designers from all over come and play test each other's games mm. and many many of the designers said you know this is one of the best games i've played today oh wow at, at that uh a lot of them their other favorite was our other game but okay we're not talking about that right now you're yet. hitting it out of the park now given that it's about making alcohol <laughs> did you have a particular participant group in mind you know you mentioned your uncle's mm-hmm. um, bar or were there any st louis you know, spots or locations where you could envision people enjoying the game together uh, it definitely plays quick, and so it would work well as a pub game. Uh, the theme didn't necessarily lead us or come from a a desired audience so much as just something that we enjoy as a family doing, uh, especially brewing and making things ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I had that mentality or that inspiration when yeah. it came to the theme. Uh, mostly our theme we dove into, not so much even though it is Shiner and it is about making moonshine, <laughs> uh, the era is what we wanted to really encompass, the 1920s, 1930s prohibition mm-hmm. era. We liked that look and we liked that feel for a game. Yeah. Uh, and there are a few games in that era, but not a whole lot. We wanted something that would really pop for mm-hmm. an artwork style. And I saw that in the, the Kickstarter video. It's very clear there. <laughs> Wham Wham Games is also working on another game, Mm -hmm. and you had spoken earlier about this labor of love, The Trials of Daedalus. And it's actually the first game project that you started working on before Turn for the Worst. Tell us about The Trials of Daedalus and when the public will finally get a chance to play it. Uh, well, if somebody wants to play it, they can always come play test it at one of our play testing days, but that would only work if they live here. Um, so the Trials of Daedalus is a head to head. We really wanted a two player game. So it's meant to be a heads up game and it's a labyrinth building and then 
I guess, dungeoneering kind of game. So you're racing to build your labyrinth with monsters from Greek mythology, Daedalus being the creator of the labyrinth in Greek mythology. And then after you've built both built your labyrinth, you're racing through it in kind of like a Dungeons and Dragons adventure, but really canned, really small and quick and forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what kind of appeal do you think those kinds of games have compared to, to all the others that are out there? Uh, well, two-player games are getting much bigger. Uh, a lot of people are looking for two-player and solo mm-hmm. games because it's hard to get a big group together and has been for, you know, a few years now. Yeah. Um, as far as the, the theme, uh, Greek mythology hasn't been big lately, but the Percy Jackson series, a lot of the people that were looking to reach read that when they were in high school or okay. in middle school. Right. Uh, they're at the, the prime age for two-player gaming right now. Mm-hmm. But that idea of like a uh, adventure-driven mythology thing people are eating that up all over the place and myself included I I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons and I'm always looking for a way to experience that high fantasy adventure Mm -hmm. in as little time as possible oh okay right I mean the time that we're living in now we're in an age of remakes sequels prequels right and that can contribute to a sense that everything has been done before, mm-hmm. and you are talking about Dungeons and Dragons and other games that exist. How is it that you approach designing a game, though, that feels new mm-hmm. when so much around us is saying, like, try this, it's the same as the thing that you already like? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love that you brought that up. I'm actually speaking later this summer on this topic specifically to game designers on the the. The talk is called Been There, Played That. Like, oh. how do we move forward feeling like every story's already been told or every game's already been made? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that was really helpful to me was uh, I'm a huge math nerd, uh, and I was listening to another talk about uh, a deck of cards and how if you were to shuffle a deck of cards, it's likely that shuffling has never existed before in human history just because uh-huh. of the number of possibilities. And we're entering into a world of game design where there are so many mechanics that feel like they've already been used, but they haven't necessarily been used together. Okay. And so finding a new combination with things that people already know can give this fresh feeling to something that may, maybe they've experienced part of it, so they're comfortable with this one aspect of a game. Mm-hmm. But by combining it with something that it's never been combined with before, we can give them a whole new gameplay without totally throwing them you know, into left field with something they've never experienced before as well. Yeah. I want to go back to the 2019 game convention Mm -hmm. that you attended, which was the inspiration for you and your brother to found Wham Wham Games. Was there any sense of intimidation maybe that you felt as you were looking at game creators for the first time? You talked about Hasbro and, you know, other, other game companies. Or was there a part of you that looked at those games and who was making them and you thought, well, I... I can do that or I can do better. Yeah, uh, there's definitely a little bit of both. Uh, the convention we've been talking about is is called Gen Con. It's in Indianapolis, and it's the big one in the country. Uh, I think this year they're expecting like 65,000 gamers coming to play. And when you walk into the vendor hall there, some of those booths are you know as big as a small store, and they're super intimidating, and they've got these huge signs, and they're all over the place. But some of them are little 8-foot by 8-foot booths with guys who look like me mm-hmm. who – just threw together something fun and they wanted to share it with the world. And so there was this intimidation factor, but at the same time, seeing a person as opposed to a name of a big company sure. and being able to relate that. Like I said, I find, it finally clicked that a person had to design Monopoly. Right, right. Uh, you know, these games that we've known forever didn't just come out of the ether somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then you'd mentioned earlier that with the advent of uh, 
should we call it the advent, with the pandemic mm-hmm. starting, that there was a resurgence in interest in board games. And it seems like that has happened sort of in, in cycles over time. Now that the pandemic is ostensibly over, do you think that people's appetite for group activities in person, that that, that has continued to to sort of be at, at a place that, that makes us a good time for you to be in the game business? Yeah, absolutely. I feel that way. I feel like people are have realized the need for human connection again. We had fallen so far into, and I'm one of those people who has, I had fallen so far into the video game world and I mm. could talk to people on a microphone, but I missed seeing the smile on their face or seeing the oh gotcha moment that you get from you know modern tabletop gaming that you just can't get across a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all lost a lot of time with each other and we're trying to make it up. And I see that a lot with the teenagers I work with and I definitely see it with my family. Mm -hmm. Now, your full-time work, as you've just noted, it involves youth. What do they think about your game making? And have you had a chance to tell them, I just want to create games when I grow up? Uh, quite often they make fun of me for it. That's the teenage reaction to most things, but okay. it's good hearted humor. And uh, along with that, I, I get questions sometimes of when are you going to bring this game back up or when are you going to finish that one? Or uh, I was actually just talking to someone the other day that I hadn't seen in a while and they brought up one of our early games that would have been too expensive to make, but it's we have a fun prototype. And they're like, so can I just have that if you're <laughs> not going to finish it? The same person will make fun of me. She'll make fun of me all the time about right, right. my nerdy game stuff. but. Mm-hmm. They want that as well. Yeah. yeah. And how does it feel to be able to say that this is something you're doing now? Uh, kind of unreal uh, and really amazing. Uh, I like to tell people in high school, I was kind of a closet nerd. Like when I'd get invited to parties on Friday night, I'd be like, oh, I already have a party. I didn't tell them it was my Dungeons and Dragons party. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I, I wasn't real out there. My friends knew, but I wasn't real out there with my nerdiness. And then in college, I really dove into this world of RPGs and and tabletop games and fantasy literature and to be able to now say that this thing that I've loved forever and was kind of ashamed of for a little while is what I get to spend most of my time doing. Don't tell my boss because I should say I'm doing most (laughs) of my time at my real job, but uh, definitely spend a lot of even that time daydreaming about new games and and how to make the game that we're working on better. Mm -hmm. This is really an opportunity to to be an adult, but also be a kid. Yeah, absolutely. Or, Or to bring some of that childlike joy into my adulthood. Phil Wamser is founder and chief game developer with Wham Wham Games. They've recently experienced a bit of publicity because of a an unexpected appearance on Jeopardy. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your time. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. 
Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.